could always be worse, right? Stay positive. Hey, welcome everybody to New Anthem Church. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting us for the very first time. I hope you find your time here both uh, meaningful and enjoyable. And those of you watching online, uh, I'm glad you guys are tuning in as well for part two of this five-part series that we're calling Stay Positive. Unfortunately, you don't have to look very far in this world to find negativity. I mean, flip on the news, open a newspaper, you can uh, eavesdrop on somebody's lunch conversation, you're going to find something negative. You don't have to drive very far, somebody's going to salute you with negativity, if you know what I'm talking about. It's a crazy world out there. I don't think it's super helpful, but in order to kind of set us all up, get us on the same page, uh, anybody in here play golf? We got any golfers? Uh, a couple of you. I like to tell people I play golf. Not very good. Okay, so there's room for improvement. I'll show up at the course and swing a few clubs, but other than that, it's not much of playing golf. However, here's what I can tell you about golf. There's a term that's called a swing thought. Swing thought. Basically, before you approach your ball and, and hit the ball, you've got to uh, have a positive image of where that ball is going to land. You want to be thinking fairway down the middle, on the green, whatever it is. The last thing you want to do is, is line up your ball and start thinking about how it's, it's going to end up in the trees, which is, which is in likelihood of what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm thinking positive thoughts uh, before I swing the club. That's what a, a swing thought is all about, thinking positive, positively before you address your ball. Same thing is true within basketball. Uh, when you line up at the free throw line, you're focusing on one spot on the rim. You imagine yourself making the shot before you shoot it. I uh, assume the same thing's true if you're kicking a field goal, never done it. But I imagine uh, you want to envision a positive outcome the same way. These five weeks, I want to give you a swing thought for your life. Five things that you can do to help yourself stay positive in this overwhelmingly negative world. Last week, we talked about optimism. Now, if you want to stay positive, you need to develop an attitude of optimism. And the reason you can be optimistic in life is not based on how you feel, but rather on what God says. Gave you eight ways to be optimistic from Romans 8. You can check that out online if you were not here. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject of gratuity and being gracious and gratitude, all in time here for Thanksgiving, titled this message, The Gratitude Attitude. Because make no mistake, being gracious in life, having a, a positive attitude in terms of being gracious, it's very much a choice. And just in time for Thanksgiving, we can all be reminded there's a lot to be grateful for in this world. Here's a big idea. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. It's not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. Oftentimes you encounter these people in life who have tons and tons of things and stuff. They seem to be very happy. But more often than not, those are some of the loneliest, most depressed people you'll ever meet. Because it's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. You want to be happy in this life? You want to enjoy your life? It starts with gratitude. Yet, we're told just the opposite, aren't we? 
Everything in our culture screams that you need more, you need to get more, the more you obtain these shoes, this car, this house, these clothes, watch, whatever it is in your life, you have to get more of this stuff if you want to be happy. That's the secret sauce, more stuff. But I don't know how many of you have ever went outside of our country or visited another country. If you never have, we got a tremendous opportunity for you this summer. You can go to Haiti with our missions team. There's still opportunities for you to do that. Just sign up on your connection card. And I promise you, here's what you'll find when you go on that trip or you go anywhere in the world where there's abject poverty. You're going to find people, Christians specifically, that are living in abject poverty. And your initial response is going to be to feel sorry for them. But then the more time you spend around them, the more you notice that these are some of the happiest people that you have ever met in your entire life. And it had nothing to do with their stuff. Has everything to do with their worldview and who they view God is and how big God is in their life. Why? Because it's not happy people that have gratitude. It's those with gratitude that are happy. How quickly do we forget everything that we have in this life? My hand's up on this. I often will play that woe is me card. My wife and I are living in a one bedroom, one bathroom shed, basically, with two kids. I often think, man, how horrible is this? But the fact is, I've got a roof over my head. The people that we're renting from are awesome. I've learned more from this dude. This guy is literally the smartest person I have ever met in my entire life. We've learned tremendous things, valuable things that we can apply later on in life. We're saving money. We've got a garage to park our vehicle in, right? How many people do not have these things in this world, and how quickly do we forget? We've got indoor plumbing, The sheer fact that we get to flush a toilet puts us in a whole different category than the rest of the world. You let that sink in. The vast majority of people are not flushing a toilet. They're not stepping in to a hot shower. They're not flipping on a faucet at all and getting clean water. They're certainly not waking up in a king-size bed. They're not driving a vehicle anywhere. They're absolutely not putting on an air conditioner when it's, cold, when it's hot or heat when it's cold. We have luxuries here in America that we feel like we're entitled to. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying we need to be thankful for what we have because there's a lot of people in this world who do not have these things at all. You don't have to apologize for it. You just need to be grateful that you have it. That being said, none of what I just said would matter if God didn't tell us to be gracious in our life. Fact fact is, he does. So I want to show you this. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke is towards the back of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's how it's going to go if you're in John, Acts, Romans. You're too far. Jesus validates this perspective. That's not 
happy people, that it's people with gratitude that are happy. Jesus is going to validate this perspective for us. You want the big number 17, little number 11. It reads, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. That's Jesus. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, time out. I don't know what you know about leprosy, but I, when I read this, I'm curious. Why are ten dudes standing around on the outskirts of a village? Because this Harlem, you know, the barrels and the fire singing bebop. Uh, no, it's not for the record. Uh, found that out. But what are they doing out there? What is even leprosy? Why is this such a big deal? I don't know how your mind works, but that's how mind works. I needed an answer. And so we find an answer in a book of the Bible called Leviticus. If you know your Bible, you know Leviticus is actually called the law. So God gave uh, his people, the Israelites, the Jews, this uh, book of the law, Leviticus. And we find in Leviticus what it means to have leprosy and what you're supposed to do. Check this out. Leviticus 13.45. If you have leprosy, you must tear your clothes and leave your hair uncombed. Now that is like every person in America right now, okay? I mean, torn clothes, uncombed hair, every hipster is doing this. I don't know why that's such a big deal. But check out what else they had to do. You must cover the lower part of your face and go around shouting, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Now that sucks, right? That's humiliating. You have to go around in your life yelling to people, telling them, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. See, leprosy is this kind of weird disease. Back then, they had no idea what it really was. Even today, there's not very many cases for it. If it weren't for Christians, we'd have no idea about it because Christians were the ones who would take care of the lepers. Praise God for that. There was an island they'd send all these lepers to, and Christians were the only one who'd go over there and care for these people. But here's what we know about leprosy. It's, it attacks your nervous system. You can't feel pain. It attacks uh, the nerve endings and things like that, and it causes open sores. If you cut yourself, you often can't feel the pain, so the sore will be open. And back then, it would lead to this horrible stench. And we have documented cases, just to give you a perspective. This is kind of gross, so prepare yourself. We have documented cases of people with leprosy. They'd fall asleep, and rats and rodents would be attracted by the smell, and they would gnaw off digits, fingers, toes, all these types of things. This is what it means to have leprosy. Because of the risk of infection, people would not go around these people. You could not be touched at all. So these 10 men haven't been hugged in who knows how long. They haven't seen somebody without leprosy in who knows how long. They're not going home for Thanksgiving. Their families aren't coming to see them. They're lonely, they're isolated, and it's adversely affecting them mentally, spiritually, and physically. I'm sure some of you are old enough to remember these uh, stories that were coming out in late 80s and 90s about these orphanages in Romania and how they just were so overwhelmed they couldn't touch these uh, children and, and the devastating effect that not being touched has on a child's life. It's incredible. It could have given you a number of different sociological studies outside of the Bible that just talks about the importance of physical touch. 
These men haven't had this in probably years. Don't miss this. According to Leviticus, what should these men have been yelling? Unclean. What were they yelling? Help. Jesus, help me. You can heal me. Come this way, Jesus, please. Aren't you glad we have a God that's not scared of your mess? Come on, somebody. Yeah. Jesus goes to these men. No fear of infection. No fear of their disease. Not at all uh, afraid because their clothes are torn. Their hair is uncombed. They look like crazy people. Jesus steps into that mess and he'll do the same thing for you. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. It's important. Samaritans weren't allowed to talk to Jews and vice versa. They were considered inferior people. Yet this man comes, speaks to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't care. He speaks directly back to him. He says, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Moral of the story, choose gratitude. Isn't that interesting that all these men are healed? Their lives are completely changed forever. And only one has the audacity to come back and say, thanks. What I love about the Bible is, do you see Jesus' sarcasm? Don't tell me sarcasm ain't a spiritual gift. I can make a, a, a big case for that right here. We're not ten cleansed, Jesus says. Love it. Jesus is just putting it on, putting people on blast. But then... What else I love about the Bible? Jesus claims to be God. Right here in verse 18. See, many people say, well, if Jesus would just say that he was God, then I could believe. Yet he does right here. Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Me? I just healed you. Except this foreigner. Others would say, well, if if Jesus would just heal me or heal my family or my mom or my dad, whoever it is, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. Maybe. Maybe you're in the 10%. 90% of you, no, you wouldn't. The Bible makes that clear. The vast majority of us do not choose gratitude in this life. We make it all about ourselves. And even if you did choose, would it change your heart? Would you believe that this is the Son of God? come to forgive you of your sins. Not heal you of physical disease as much as healing you from a spiritual disease, that being called sin. See, we've all fallen short in this life. We've all sinned. It's literally an archery term. It means to fall short. Would you be willing to accept Christ as the healer of that? Because he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead, thereby conquering sin and death. That's the other moral of this story. Jesus, the healer of sin, not just physical disease. You want to change your outlook on life? Choose gratitude. 
Now, I want to help you do that. We've got a pretty clear case in Scripture that we're supposed to have a life filled with being gracious, understanding what we have, have gratitude, develop this attitude of gratitude. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. Number one, I will thank God for his good gifts. You want the attitude of gratitude? You need to learn how to thank God for his good gifts. What's James 1.17 say? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I think, unfortunately, maybe this is how our Western society works, but many of us feel like we deserve the things that we've got in this life. We worked hard. We accomplished this. We deserve the outcome, the positive outcome. Nobody would say that about the negative income outcome, but the po- anything positive that happens in our life, we did that. We made the right decision. We worked hard. Any of the things that happen, who in here, when you were in your mother's womb, thought, you know, I'm going to be six foot tall. I'm going to have a tremendous ability to play basketball or a great business acumen. I'm going to be a fantastic uh, electrician or whatever it is. You just thought that in your mother's womb and out you came and there you were. Nobody. (laughs) You didn't choose any of those things in your life. God made you with a plan and a purpose that's going to bring him glory and you joy. The greatest part about life is you have to discover what that is. Unfortunately, most of us don't work hard enough at discovering God's purpose for our life. And what he wants you to do is learn how to just say thanks and work hard at discovering your purpose. I promise you, if we got what we deserved in this life, we'd all, myself included, be in bad, bad shape. The really good news is that that's good news. See, God's not performance-based. That's the greatest news, that God's not looking at you and saying, well, if you just do these things, then I can love you. No, 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 no. God said, I sent my son to this earth to die for you no matter what your life looks like. I'm not performance-based. I love you enough to die for you. God gives you everything you need to succeed in this life. Think about the examples that we have just in Scripture of God giving great, generous gifts as a loving father. God gave Noah the plans for an ark, the ability to build it, the resources to do it. God gave Israelites as they were traveling around the desert food from heaven, bread from heaven. He allowed them to travel with a cloud during the day for shade. So it wasn't so hot and fire at night so they could see. God gave David the ability to sling a stone and kill a giant. He gave Jonah a fish to swallow him so he didn't drown in the ocean. God gave uh, the wise men a star to lead them to the Son of God. God gave the world the Prince of Peace, a way for salvation through Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit 
to strengthen you and encourage you and convict you if need be. Gives you the Bible preserved this Word of God through centuries so that you could read it for yourself. Translate it into our native language. People have died and are dying all over the world right now to to translate this into other languages so people all over can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. God is good. Amen, somebody. Gave you a life to enjoy. Gave you friends to celebrate with. Gave you the ability to just love one another. This is incredible. The emotion that you can even feel because God is a good God. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. God is good. Gave you perfect gifts so that you can experience him to the fullest. God only gives good gifts. Not like some of the gifts uh, you receive, Father's Day, some crappy tie. Who wants a freaking tie, right? It's a mom, you know. All you want is a massage. You get some stupid card, Come, kid drew a human being that doesn't look anything like a human being, right? He's got arms coming out the head and finger. You know, who, I don't want that crappy car. Give me a massage. Right, ladies? Come on. Right? Christmas is coming up. Say something. Uh, God only gives good, perfect gifts. This is the God we serve. Learn how to say thanks. Start your prayer life every single night. God, thank you for the gift you've given me today of life on this planet, the loving family, whatever it is. But learn how to say thanks. Here's number two. I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. I'm not going to let what I want rob me of what I have. This is how I develop my gratitude attitude. You see this in Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. In other words, it's better to see what you have and be content with it than to desire all these other things in life that ultimately will consume you. Crave something that you really don't need. Say it another way. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. You don't have to buy all this other junk to impress people that you don't even like. You learn to have enough and to say this is enough. You right now somehow got here this morning, so you've got transportation. I imagine it was climate-controlled transportation, praise God, on a cold morning that you had heat in your vehicle. You all are wearing clothes right now. Praise God for that. That could have been weird this morning, looking out and seeing y'all naked. But y'all are dressed. Y'all got shoes. And ladies, you've got makeup. And you had an ability to comb your hair. And your clothes weren't torn. All all these things. Did you remember that God gave you these things? These good gifts. Y'all got a cell phone, I imagine probably a smartphone. You probably got the ability to even trade in that smartphone and upgrade it despite the fact that your smartphone works perfectly. You just decided that the iPhone 18 came out, so you might as well get it uh, as soon as you could because you had an upgrade. Man, we're blessed. You have the world's 
information, all recorded human history at the tips of your fingers on a phone. You imagine trying to travel back in time and try and explain somebody the smartphone. It would blow their mind. Most of all, you have, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ living in your life. You remember the story in the Bible where uh, Jesus and disciples are up on a hill and he's preaching. He's been there a long time and the disciples are like, bro, we need to send these people home. They're hungry. You've been preaching for quite some time. Jesus, let's send them out. Let them buy some stuff. And Jesus is like, well, we don't need to send them anywhere. You guys feed them. The disciples are like, how are we supposed to feed them? We don't have any money. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, what do you have? Now, the disciples say, well, we got five loaves and two fish. We jacked some little kid's lunch. Uh, took his took his food, but five loaves, two fish. Jesus is probably in his mind thinking, no, 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 no. You guys have me. I don't need that food. I could make food if I wanted to. And he certainly does. Feeds over 10,000 people, man, woman, and child, and has 12 basketfuls left over. But Jesus is like, no, you morons. You've got me. Man, how quick are we to forget? We've got Jesus, if we believe we've got his spirit living inside of us, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, as the song says, is alive and living in me. Amen. You want to learn to be gracious in life? I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. I'm going to remind myself of everything that I have in this life. And all these things that I want, it's not going to rob me of my joy. It's going to create joy in me because I'm content with what God has given me. Here's number three. I will turn every blessing I have into praise. Turn every blessing I have into praise. Watch this. Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. Praise God for that. And heals all my diseases. Verse 4, he redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. Can you learn how to praise God unashamedly for everything that he has given you? Can you step in to a church environment and raise your hands to praise the one who saved your soul? Can you learn how when you're driving to say, praise God for putting me behind this slow driver, I get to see the beauty of everything you've created with your hands? Can you learn how to praise God in every situation? Praise God, I got this job the opportunity to provide for my family. You've surrounded me with a bunch of idiots, but praise God, I'm learning perseverance and self-control in this environment. Can you praise God for these kids? They're little monsters sometime, but at least they're healthy. You know what I'm talking about. Can you learn how to praise God in every situation? It's about changing your perspective. That's really all it is. Maybe nothing in your life even changes at all. But you learn how to praise God no matter where you're at. 
There's got to be a shift in your thinking. If you're going to choose this gratitude attitude, you've got to learn how to change your perspective. It's the idea that your outlook determines your outcome. How you view this life, whatever happens to you, you get to learn how to praise God no matter what. It's a shift in thinking, a change in your perspective. A friend of mine does photography. Uh, I'm sure many of you probably know who he is if I would say his name. But a number of years ago, he uh, asked me to help him sort some images, put them on computer and maybe change the graphics in a little bit. And he knew I had a background in that. So I, I agreed. And as I, sh- I looked and sorted through all these images, I noticed that the, the landscape and everything was the same in a number of these images, he just changed direction. It was up or down or all around. If you know him, you know that's the case. The dude's crazy. But all he did was change the angle, and he captured some of the most stunning images only by changing his perspective. See, that's the difference between a good photographer and a great photographer. Great photographers have this knack to find that right perspective to capture this one image. It's also what separates happy people from unhappy people. It's perspective. God's going to work this for his good, as Romans 8 talks about. Again, it's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. You change your perspective to choosing to be gracious in this life. And I promise you the outcome of that is being happy. I don't think anybody in this room wouldn't want to be happy in life. If you do, change your perspective. Look at this. This is huge. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 reads, Give thanks in all circumstances. How many circumstances? All circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People often ask me, now I'm a pastor, my pastor, how can I know the will of God for my life? It's right here. Learn how to give thanks in all circumstances for this, giving thanks, is the will of God for you. It's part of it. It's part of the plan that God has for your life, that you learn how to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, in all circumstances. See, this is the other thing I love about the Bible. The Bible is gritty, man. When you read it, it's not just all dancing bunnies eating chocolates on rainbows. There's a lot of hurtful, painful things that people have to learn to grapple with within Scripture. Bible never hides the fact this is an evil, broken world. Paul never instructed the church to thank God for evil, but in return, thank God for these events that are leading people to get closer to him. We never thank God that, that evil has happened. We just thank God that even in evil and uncertain times, our hope can remain steadfast in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God will continue to work in our lives for His good and His glory. So your cancer, your bankruptcy, your addiction, your miscarriage, any of those things, God works all of it for His glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
man, those things don't have to burden you down anymore. God says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You want to chain up to that? You want to change your life? Choose gratitude. Three questions as we close. Can you turn every blessing into praise? Can you not let what you want rob you of what you have? Can you thank God for his good gifts? Imagine how different your life could look if the answer to those questions was yes. See, suddenly the stressful things in life wouldn't be that big of a deal anymore. Suddenly our pace of life could slow down to something manageable. Suddenly we'd experience things that we'd never thought we could experience. Suddenly we could be happy. Why? Because it's not happy people that are grateful. It's grateful people that are happy. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and meet here today. Thank you for all these good gifts that you've given us. God, it's easy just to be so busy in life that we forget the beauty of your creation. Beautiful sunshine this morning. Cool, crisp weather. The fact that we were able to drive here, to meet here, to worship you, to have freedom. God, we bring praise to you for all these good gifts. God, we all want to learn how to develop this attitude of gratitude. I just ask you to send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Help us learn how to say thank you for things. Help us learn how to turn every blessing into a praise. Help us not desire things to the extent that it robs us of the joy of what we currently have. As we continue to pray, God, we're reminded that the greatest gift you've ever given us is salvation through your son, Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And if any of you are here this morning, you're unsure. You want to accept Christ for the very first time. I want to give you an opportunity just to confess in your heart and believe in Jesus. You just follow me in this prayer. You can say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. But I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he died for me, that he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. God, I thank you for that life. I thank you for everybody here this morning. God, I ask that you let no person leave from this place today without having a change in their perspective, learning how to say thank you for everything that they have in this life. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.